He's blonde and bitchin'. She's sporty and sassy. Together, they're perfectly imperfect. It's Jesse and Jenna's messy podcast. Cheers! <laughs> Our guest today is Christopher Lovestone. Uh, no, he is not a porn star. He's the author of a new book called Conscious Cock. Now you know why we invited him on the show. A controversial and edgy how-to that completely redefines the world of sex ed for men. We'll see about that. We've got some hard questions for you, Christopher. Christopher is a sex educator and couples counselor from Costa Rica who has survived six divorces during his childhood. And through them, he says he's figured out how to change the rules of the relationship game so that people can actually have a chance to win. Hello, Christopher. Woo! Oh, I'm so happy to be here, you know, and I'm happy to have hard conversations. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> you're so funny. It's like you've been talking about this book. Of course, you know, we got to talk about cocks. People don't normally talk about them. It's not a normal conversation. We don't talk about these things, especially guys. With really? Other. I feel like they're talked about quite often in comparison to other body parts on other, like on females. Uh, in what circles do you travel? I, I guess I mean, you're right. You're right. I mean, I do hang out with Jesse a lot. You think cock would come up more often. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> well, you know, you've got an interesting audience here, Chris. Right. Can I call you Chris? Yeah, that's fine. Because uh, neither of us are heterosexual men. Spoiler alert. And, um, you know, this is who your book is geared towards. So what made you want to write a book because straight guys just need so much help? Or what was the what inspired you? <laughs> you know, as I thought about it, you know, the, the core of my teachings are authenticity and communication, being able to really be transparent with your partner. That's the, that's the pathway to actually have a chance at getting what you want in your relationship, no matter what gender or orientation you are. But the thing is, who needs the most help in the world? Straight guys. Straight guys. Like <laughs> on one side, there's a rock. On the other side, there's a hard place. Like they're, they're damned if they do. They're damned if they're d they don't. Feminism has shamed them for so many years that their they're dick is in a box. Like their sexual power has been saying, oh, you're the patriarchy. You're the cause of all the problems in the world. Like, so guys have been shamed into not being able to um, freely express their sexual power. I'm talking heterosexual guys. Um, and then, it, then if they do, they, there's so much fear of being labeled a jerk, misogynist, sexual predator, chauvinist, male supremacist. Like there's so much fear. I don't want to do anything wrong. Therefore, guys are just shriveling in paralysis. But don't so, you think that men, it requires a certain level of repeated behavior for them to be classified as what you say? Because, you know, a woman, she sleeps with two guys that roll in the same group and she's labeled a slut. And that's something that sticks with her. But a man hooks up with two or three women that roll in the same group. They're not really labeled to jerk anything until like number four. You know what I mean? They have, in my opinion, straight men have a lot longer leash in life than straight women do, for example, or, you know, other other sexuality groups. <laughs> you know, another way to look at it is that there's so many women in the world that are doing a lot of self-empowerment work and intimacy and sexuality empowerment work. There's tons of women that are like, I'm going to level up my toolkit, you know, but like the other side of the scale is there's not very men doing that, not very many men doing that work. Right. right? So and there's not very many resources for them to, to do the empowerment work to help create 
an egalitarian relationship of equals with a woman. So That's it's not this about. whole like poor straight men. Oh my gosh. They're oh, being fuck no. picked on because when I first read the description and I first like before I got into your book and I listened to the audio book, which I like that version of it better, um, <laughs> which is interesting because it's the first audio book I've ever listened to believe it or not. Um, But I just found it easier to process the information and get like the tone of the book. And at first I thought you're playing these tiny ass violins for all these poor straight (laughs) men. And I was like, no, 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 this is actually, it's just about improving their life and how they treat their partners in their life, which in turn improves me as hopefully their significant other. It improves my life. I want everybody to win. I don't think it's fair if one person wins at another person's expense, regardless of who it is or what the dynamic is. No, like if both people are winning, that's success, right? If both people are moving towards getting what they want out of their relationship, out of the sexual aspect of that relationship, the intimacy needs, if both people are moving towards getting their desires fulfilled, that's positive progress. That's a good direction. But guys need tools to like put down these patterns that they inhabited from media and their parents, maybe their church, you know, uh, about how they're supposed to treat people about how they're supposed to be self-centered or something like that. So many guys are, are doormats nowadays. They just get walked all over. And I'm trying to say, no, don't be a doormat. A lot of heterosexual women want to feel your sexual power, but they want you to do it in a considerate way where you're like being an equal, not a domineering ass. <laughs> right. Right. Isn't that interesting? Because Jenna, we've talked about it often how like some of these movies where the woman gets kidnapped or like, you know, the Fifty Shades of Grey, like there's such a turn on. But in real life, nobody wants to get kidnapped or like sexually abused. But sometimes watching these things, it's hot. So your aim is to bridge that gap is how can you have that hot sort of, you know, naughty scene, but still do it respectfully. If everybody's getting their needs met and everybody's got the ability to speak what's coming up inside their throat. Like sometimes there's something like your heart might be beating and you're like, there's something I need to say, but I'm afraid to say it for whatever your reasons might be. Like if people both have, are empowering each other to, to share their truth, to, to speak their voice, right. With each other constantly on an ongoing relationship, then you have a chance to co-create like naughtiness, fun, et cetera, and have it really be fulfilling for both people. But I got to say what you guys just touched on, I call it, the art of ravishment. And it's something that I teach guys how to master the art of ravishment because it's the most common fantasy I hear about from heterosexual women is they want to be ravished. But most guys don't know how to, how to, how to get the keys to that kingdom to do it in a way where it's not going to maybe cross a boundary for her or get into some murky territory where people don't know, ah, is that, is that rapey? You know, like you don't want that. No, not today. We, need, we have better tools today than we did 20 years ago, like technologies for communication. You, like, know, you can get into that ravishment fantasy and have all your delicious desires met. But if you need to have the tools to the toolkit. Yeah. It's so interesting that you say we have all this technology and all these new yeah. tools to use, but the way we approach relationships and the way we handle ourselves in relationship has not evolved that much. Well, that's what this is all about right here. But what do you think is the biggest thing stopping this? Why have we not evolved? As human beings, we naturally evolve into all situations. I mean, we evolved into the internet. What has stopped us romantically from evolving as well? There is a large uh, awakening that I'm seeing. I detect that there's a a large awakening in, let's say, North American culture of, 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 of feeling that 
our sexual repression, because the United States was founded by the Puritans, hello, um, is so deeply ingrained on us, but that it's not natural. It doesn't fit our, our natural biology and physiology and emotional landscape. It's, it's, it's been pushed on us. It's like we're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. It doesn't actually functionally work for us as biological sexual beings, right? So there's a lot, there's a trend towards sacred sexuality. A lot of people are studying Tantra nowadays, right? Or yoni egg work for women. And that, that's very empowering for, for them to work their pelvic floor. It is for guys too. First chapter of my book, we talk about doing I cubits. loved that chapter. You know? <laughs> I thought now. it was, I thought it was such a great- I, could, I, I thought so, Jesse. <laughs> Hell, I thought you said nobody I would know. know. <laughs> but I seriously thought it was such a great way to open up this book. And, and that's coming from a woman listening. One thing I loved about your book is- as a heterosexual woman listening, a lot of it applied, like I learned a lot, not just looking into the heterosexual man's mind, but also learning just about relationships and communications in general. So this book is, yes, it's aimed and targeted for heterosexual males, but you can learn a lot from this regardless of your sexual preference and your, your gender your gender or your orientation. It doesn't matter. I mean, this is for humans, but I'm, I'm focusing the languaging and targeting my curriculum for guys because most of the sex ed that they've had is not actually sex ed. It's porn, which is actors for profit, right? In a capitalist um, business model. Um, they have had no communication classes on intimacy education on how to communicate in an intimate sexual relationship. That's not taught in junior high school, high school, or college. You can't find a course in the, in the um, course catalog about communication in intimate relationships. Well, in fact, they call it sex ed, but it's not. It's, it's uh, not. puberty ed. That's what it is. It's puberty ed. They don't talk about sex at all, really. You know? It's avoid getting a sexually transmitted disease or infection and don't get pregnant. That's all, all the traditional model is. There's nothing that talks about pleasure. No. How do you give your partner pleasure emotionally, mentally, and physically? Do you know the map of their genitals, the human genitals? Like, do you really know all the pleasure parts and how they respond to different forms of touch? If you don't know that you're shooting in the dark good luck. You know, <laughs> you're just going to copy what you saw on some porn somewhere. And that's not going to give you emotional intimacy fulfillment. You a know, lot uh, of men need, to, sorry, I was going to say a lot of men need to take a map, that vagina map or the map to your whatever, and put it on top of their ceiling. You know, oh, that's funny. I could make glasses with a little image scraped on the inside. <laughs> yeah. and you're looking at their girl. Like, okay. These are you the, know, the, like, <laughs> You did a great job, Chris. I have to tell you, as a proud gold star gay, yeah, exactly. I listened to the audiobook and I learned more about vaginas than I ever thought I would know. So right. I think, yeah, like it's very educational. And I think it's interesting that Jenna said she enjoyed listening to it, even though it was geared towards straight men, because I have to tell you, I got about halfway through and I thought he doesn't care about guys at all. Chris is writing this so he gets laid because any woman that listens to this is going to fall in love with you. You're saying everything that any girlfriend I've ever had wants to hear from a man. So you've done your research. Is it because you've had that many relationships or where did you learn all this? I have had maybe... 
20 relationships in my life and I'm 46 and I started at 18. So you can do the math, you know, but the relationships that I'm in now are many years long, right? My wife and I have been together for 15 years. So I haven't been somebody who's gone to a lot of sex parties or sex clubs like San Francisco or Miami. I've never inhabited those cultures. I came from a very repressed background growing up on a farm. The only way that I knew that you could have sex was in the container of a loving relationship. And the only way I ever saw that play out was that the relationships would last about three years and then they'd just, just explode <laughs> and everybody would be hurt. And then everybody would go out and find new partners and start the cycle all over again. So I just repeated that pattern in my 20s until I woke up and after I got my heart broken, I said, I don't, this, this, this whole system is fucked. I don't want to do this. I'm repeating what I grew up with. There's got to be a better way here. Let me try to figure that out. Um, so, you know, I'm teaching the tools that I use in my own life. And, and I'm working. Well, for 15 they, years, they've been working. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Like right. I, in my own life, want a really engaged, fulfilling relationship that lasts the test of time, right? I want to be sexual in my 90s still, still engaged, still sharing pleasure. I don't want it to dwindle and fade into apathy. I definitely don't want that. So I'm just teaching what works for me. Just try it on, see if it works for you. But it's from my experience, what women, they tend to shake their head, nod their head and say, yeah, yeah, this is the stuff that guys need to know because they don't understand women. Let's test one of your theories. Okay, go ahead. I was just just to say, before you move on from that, I will say as a woman, we are partially to blame for men not knowing that because just as it's hard for men to communicate, sometimes it's hard for us as well mostly out of fear, fear of losing that person, fear of uh, suffocating them, fear of, you know. So yes, this book to me, and I think this is why I liked it as a woman so much is because you were telling men everything we've been trying to tell them for so long, but just haven't been able to get through or haven't been able to have the balls or kahunas to, to voice it to their partner. Yeah, you know, there's so many factors about... Um responsibility or who, who's at fault. Like there's, there's so many contributing factors and I, I don't personally find it beneficial as an educator to talk about who's contributing what, when, where, or how. I just want to give useful tools that help get going in a positive direction, right? Choose the right course heading and move that way. Um, and these things help create trust. They help build intimacy. And if you're focusing on building trust and, and intimacy, like you're, you're, you're moving in the right direction. Just that, just move in the right direction. <laughs> That's what we all want to do. So I want to go through a couple of the teachings where I'm going to give okay. everything away. Right. But okay. with a, you know, we have resident straight woman in the room. So I want to see if some right. of these would, you know, fly if, if Jenna was right. your girlfriend. So most of them I agree with totally. Not that, you know, I have a lot of experience dating women, but there was one in particular. <laughs> I've met your ex, so it's questionable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there was one that I have a hard time believing would work. And that is when you want to break bad news to your girl. And maybe it's something that you had hidden from her that now you want to come clean about. I believe the example you used was you ran into an ex at a coffee shop and you had lunch with her. Nothing sexy happened, but you know, you feel you should tell your girlfriend about it. How do you bring that up? And as a gay man, I've dealt with that with family. I've dealt with that. And um, well, I would explain how the, how they should bring that up. Okay, the 
imagine somebody's got something that's bubbling up inside of them and it's building up pressure and they really want to get it out, but they haven't said it. And the more they delay because they're waiting for the right moment, the more pressure builds up. And then eventually they can't handle it anymore. And they just blurt it out. And like, it just derails the other person. It just hits them like a ton of bricks. Like they, they have no context. They haven't been forewarned that like some big news is coming and like catches them totally off guard. And that goes really badly. Yeah. For or, the, or the other one is you wait too long that you miss the window. And now you feel like, well, I just can never tell her. And then she finds out from someone else and it, oh, forget it, it goes really badly. So what I teach is how to improve your, your chances of success. You can't guarantee anything, but you can do it in a way that's going to make it go better. Right. And if you're careful enough, if you bring enough care to it, enough forethought and consideration, then chances are it's going to go all right. Now, in the, in the, in the example <laughs> of you bringing up something, in the example of you bringing up something that you feel bad about, that you feel like you have to come clean about, a come, a come clean, um, not talking about a wipe here that you use after sex. No, a come clean <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, is what I'm saying. You, you got to get something off your chest that, that you, right. you, you need to feel like a weight lifted about. Um, so first off is you got to, you got to ask them, like, or you got to tell them, notify them that there's something important that you want to tell them. Hey, there's something that's important. I got to talk to you, but is now a good time or not? Because it might not be a good time. She might have another thing on her mind. She might have a meeting in a minute, like be considerate, but notify them. There's something you need to talk about. Like, okay, well, if now it doesn't work, how about tonight, you know, or tomorrow? Like I need to have some time to do this thing. And you're being considerate. You're not just vomiting on them, your process, right? You're, you're demonstrating care. Then um, when you do get to talking to, to the time to talk about it, um, you, you tell them that, what you, that you have something that you want to say and you, you, you tell them why you're afraid to say it before you say it, before you tell them what you want to tell them. You tell them why you're afraid of telling them that thing. What the- <laughs> stop, stop. This, this is the part that's the part that stuck for me because any time in my life that somebody has said I have something to tell you but I don't want you to get mad you better <laughs> believe I'm going to get mad as soon as they tell me so I guess it depends well, that's an on interesting thing Jesse that's an interesting thing because I now I don't tell people I don't to say I don't want to tell you this because I don't want you to get mad or don't get mad that's not what I say no what I'm saying is tell them the reasons you're afraid of telling them I'm afraid of telling you this because I'm afraid you're gonna fly off the handle I'm afraid you're gonna leave me I'm afraid you're gonna stonewall me or tell all your friends whatever your fear might be judge me make me feel bad like stick knives and daggers in verbally like whatever it might be you, you share your right fears there, see right in my example i did what you're not supposed to do which i told her what to do don't get mad and that's sort of a a negative direct oh. bossy thing to say it's a different thing here if you're telling somebody that you love you're talking right. to somebody that care for and hopefully they care for you if you tell them the reasons you're afraid to tell them something it has a dampening effect on them doing those negative behaviors. Because if they do that thing that you said you were afraid of, they're proving that you were right and justified in your fear. So how can you- Which is an interesting thing. It's like, if I say, I'm afraid that by telling you this, you're just gonna fly off the handle and just get bitchy and walk out on me in a huff. And then if they do that bad behavior, you're like, well, my fear is justified. Look, you just did it. Anyway, so you name your fears. What that does is it, it creates 
a context where they can empathize with you. They're like, oh, this is really big for you. I see, you know, it means a lot to you. Wow. Okay. I don't want to do those things because that would hurt you. So it kind of opens the doorway to empathy in the conversation. And then, you know, after that, if you tell them what you hope will happen after sharing the thing you want to share, like, I hope this will bring us together, or I hope this will demonstrate to you that I want us to have a relationship of honesty. Like, you know, you tell them, you like, give them a positive outcome that they can have in their head. So a handle that they can hold on to rather than just being filled by the dark thoughts. Right. Like, I hope that by telling you this, you can see that you can count on me to tell you the hard things. Mm-hmm. Like, even if it's tough that I'll sit with you until the dust settles, like, I, you know, and then you tell them the thing that you want to tell them. That's all. Give them like a, a signal up front. Hey, there's something I want to tell you. When's a good time. Second, tell them why, why you're afraid to tell them. Third, give them a positive outcome that you hope will happen and then tell them. Jenny, read you Mihal- don't look read Mihalko. You know him, read Mihalko. He's the guy that came up with this. The difficult conversation formula, he called it. I, I mean, it sounds great. I'm, I'm just curious, Jenna, would that work on you or has it ever worked on you? You know what? By the time you get through all those steps, you've already simmered down a little bit. You know, for me, I'm a very emotional person. I am like a fire burning in me. So as soon as someone said, we need to talk about something, boom, that fires full blaze. But then as I wait a little bit for that right moment, like you said, it's gone down a little bit. And then your fear, because at the end of the day, I want you to feel bad for your actions part of me, the sadistic part of me. I want you to feel bad. So you're stating that like, I, I see no way that it wouldn't work. Obviously, depending on the offense is different, but if it was something as simple as I ran into an ex, so we decide to sit and have coffee for 30 minutes that, you know, to me, that's a, a very adult way, which sounds so stupid to say, but a very adult mature way to approach a difficult conversation. Yeah. Sharing something that, that is important, but it also can be for positive things like a fantasy, right. a desire that you've got on your sexual bucket list that you've never brought up to your partner, that you've been afraid to bring up for whatever your reasons. And like, yet the time's clicking. Like we're not, not, not getting any younger. Like, you know, right. th- so you can say, oh, bring up this thing that you want to do in your life. That's not sexual, like, but you're afraid to say it because maybe they'll judge you or like, I don't know, didn't go well the last time you brought it up. You can use it for anything. And as you get fluent in this ability to bring things up, it gets easier and easier to bring things up. And you create a relationship where you're role modeling how to bring up hard things. And then that shows them how they can do it. And that helps both of you. And then we're going for the win-win, right. you know, creating the life that you really want. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, another tip that you bring up in the book is consent. And that's a big one since the whole Me Too movement. And one thing that I'd never thought of when it comes to consent is that consent can actually be very freeing because you use this playground example, which is kind of gross, but I love the, I love the analogy. Yeah. Uh, before you get into it, I want to say that how much I love this at uh, this chapter because it caught me off guard. It didn't turn out the way uh-huh. I thought it was going to turn out. I thought it was going to be like, man, we can't do anything these days. We can't even yeah. tell a girl oh, no. she's pretty, all this. But what it was, was it was, and I forget what the title of the chapter was, but it was something like putting the power in consent and how you can actually use it as a tool for clear communication, which can lead to a better sex life and setting clearer boundaries that in turn can move, which is where the playground analogy comes in, which I love is the bouncing off the fence, right? Okay, so I said, how do you wield the power of consent. If you think of consent as a power tool 
turbo boosts, right? Like you, it's really powerful. You have to be able to wield that. Otherwise you're going to get hurt or somebody else is going to get hurt. Um, and I teach consent as a self-empowerment, personal empowerment practice, which is not what most people think of when they hear consent. They think, oh, some feminist who's um, just bitching about guy coming on to her or something like that. That's not it at all. That's like 20 year old idea of it. Um, so the concept of the playground is like, let's say you have in your relationship, the playground you could say is the area in your relationship where it's safe to play with your desires and your intimacy and stuff like that. And that that playground has a, a, a shape, let's say it's a square, you know, and, and there's this metaphor, uh, that we learned in cuddle party of, of kids on a playground at a school. And there was a fence around, around the playground, but they removed the fence as a social experiment. And that what happened was that, that the kids stopped running all around the playground and they huddled close to the teachers and the equipment in the center of the playground. That removing the fence, which we think of as a barrier, right? A container, right? We think of a fence as something that holds things in. Removing the fence actually created fear in them and they shrank in their playfulness. But when they put the fence back, then suddenly the kids were zooming all around the playground, running right up to the fence, jumping off the fence, bouncing off the fence, exploring and using every single square inch of the playground. So it flips the script on what is a a, a, a fence? What is a boundary? What is a limitation? It changes the, our understanding of it from it's something that limits us instead to something that allows us to relax into exploring everything that's within that container. Without the fence, the kids were afraid. They stayed in the center. They didn't explore the yard. With the fence, they felt free to explore everywhere within the container, right up to the edges. So in your relationship, if you don't have any boundaries, you're in this liminal zone. You're kind of like, ah, I'm not sure what's good, what's not, what's okay, what's dangerous. So in that fear, you get paralysis. You, maybe you're not courageous enough to try that new sexual thing that you want to try in, in the bedroom, for example. Um, but if you define your boundaries, then you can play right up to that boundary in relaxation. And then in a sense, that's freeing to you. Oh, really? I'm, you, you, you want me to do that thing? Really? Okay, then we get to play with that thing? Yeah, because you gave your consent. You said what your boundary is. I want to do this, but not that. So boundaries can be freeing because then you can relax into enjoying the playground that you create within that boundary. And then the one thing that I love that you added too is that then those boundaries can change. That fence can move a little bit. Oh, yeah. You know, the more trust you acquire, the more those boundaries can open up a little bit more together. And that's the greatest thing is it's all done together as partners. It's not just like one person's into one thing and the other one's kind of just going along. It's like you, it's a lot of discovery. Oh my God. You're so right. And the boundaries can be fluid. Don't think of them as fixed. They're here today. They're, they're what's present now. But if you continue building trust with your partner and they continue to build trust with you, What's going to happen is you're going to relax your boundary. The playground's going to get bigger. You're going to want to move that fence back and give yourself some more room to play with each other because you've built the trust. But if somebody betrays your trust, right. you're going to be like, no, 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 no. Let's move these in a smaller playground, more restrictions, less freedom to ro roam around and play. So they can be, they should be dynamic and just focus on building trust. But anybody who's interested in this stuff, you know, you can get the uh, audio recording of my um, boundaries and consent, six rules to change your life workshop on my website, consciouscock.com slash downloads. It's just 50 minute audio, listen to your headphones and it totally frees you up in your life. 
uh, there's a lot of good worksheets on there. There's a couple others I want to talk about, but part of what you were just saying about the boundaries and being open about your wants and desires is allowing yourself to be vulnerable, which is something that people find so sexy, but so many of us don't want to do. Why do you think people have such a hard time being vulnerable when it's something that so many of us crave in a connection? Oh, shame. We're ashamed of it or we're afraid of being judged. What if I share that part of myself, that fantasy that I've always had, and then you just shame me and judge me? Right. Maybe you're not even paying attention to me. You're like texting, your focus is elsewhere. And you just say some like passing quip. And I just feel like devastated. I shared this deep thing. I finally worked up the courage. But if, if you don't preface that you're saying something that's important to you, you're not grabbing their attention. You're not setting the stage. Like it's about trying to create scenarios where you can both win with each other. So vulnerability can be sexy if you set the stage right. Yeah. So learn to make a safe space to have that conversation. Like bring up what your fears are, share what's really going on inside of you, share what you want to have happen by sharing that vulnerable thing, what your dream goal is. You know, maybe this vulnerability thing ties into straight guys taking care of their appearance, which is another chapter I appreciate so much. You appreciate, you appreciate it, Jesse. (laughs) I appreciate it. I I bet. But here's what I was going to say is my people have been trying to help the straights for decades and we just can't get through. So finally, Chris comes along and says, trim your fucking nose hairs. That's all we've been trying to say. (laughs) Uh, But but did you think like, why do so many straight guys let their appearance go to the wayside? (laughs) Is it because they're afraid of like seeming like a failure or vulnerable if they admit they need to get a haircut? Like, what's it about? I was just talking with somebody about this this morning. (laughs) okay the way i look at things and is is that like a lot of us grow older but don't grow up what i'm saying is that like i have a boy he's seven eight years old now and so i know what it is to be a boy like i was a boy myself also and you know he doesn't want to shower he doesn't want to keep his clothes clean he's just like rough and tumble he's getting into everything and then he just doesn't care about washing his body that's boyness in my experience it's a boyish quality. Um, and a lot of guys never stop that. They just grow older, but they don't actually shift from being that kind of child who needs somebody to badger them to clean themselves. They never shift out of that to kind of being the parent. Now, I have shifted. I am a parent. So now I'm getting to, ch- to parent my child. So I'm like, come on, you got to wash your butt and your balls and your armpits. Come on, get in there. So <laughs> like, you know. You got to do this. But what, what we could say that part of growing up or becoming an adult or maturing is no longer needing to have a caregiver for us. Like we, we become that next generation, the one who can be a caregiver to someone else who's younger than us. Um, no woman in a heterosexual relationship that I know <laughs> wants to be a mother to her boyfriend or husband. Like that triggers this repulsion reflex in her. Like, oh my God, I've just got another kid to take care of. You know, if his underwear is three years old and got poop stains on it, like she's like, oh fuck, it triggers this like yuck reflex. But if he's taking care of himself, like his mama taught him to do, if he had a mother, you know, like, like, like taking care of himself as a mature adult would rather than a child who doesn't, then like that's sexy. 
oh yeah, look at him. He's taking care of his body. Like it's the only body he's ever going to have and he's taking care of it. So it's going to last a long time. There's an effort mismatch between men and women, right? Women put in so much effort into their appearance. Oh my God, all your clothes, all your hair, all your nails, all the skincare products. Oh my God, your makeup, like how much effort and into the house, how much effort do you put into like your bedroom and, you know, making curtains, like new sheets, like whatever, keeping the kitchen clean. And, And guys like the, so, so I'm trying to bring this effort to a match. Like women, you don't have to do so much. Guys, do some more. Like both right. be in this kind of egalitarian space. So I think it just has to do with guys not moving into this role in their lives of being the adult rather than being the one who needs to be cared for. Yeah, Staying, it's a I, childish behavior rather than mature behavior. Yeah, and you're that. you're right. The way it makes a woman feel, I, I, it doesn't repulse me, but it's kind of like shouldn't you know this by now? You know, I was talking to my friend uh, just as I was listening to that chapter. And I told her, like, I was telling her about the chapter and she laughs and she goes, shouldn't they be doing that? Like all the time since they were young? Like, I don't, she sees, she goes, it seems like basic hygiene. And I go, yeah, but you're right. A lot of them just skip that. And they can't all be that lazy. It's just staying in this boyish mindset. Yeah. But shifting out of that into what I'm going to call an adult mindset from a childish mindset to an adult mindset is like empathy for other people. That's the thing that adults have that kids right. might not have yet. They're very self-centered as young children. That's their world. It's part of the human development process. And as we mature into adulthood, we learn empathy, the skill of caregiving. Um, so that, that is part of becoming an adult and mature, but not necessarily a part of growing older. They're separate things. I think you're probably right on the money with that. I was wondering too, um, if there was a element of like homophobia or stigma with it, because you remember back to the nineties, we're all old enough to remember when like guys couldn't even get their hair done without being made. I mean, it's in a Shania Twain song, shamed for combing your hair. Like we've come a long way since then where now guys are allowed to take care of their appearance, but there's still a stigma with guys, you know, getting Botox, wearing makeup, some of these things. We're not all the way there, but we've come a long way. Do you think it is like the homophobic thing from, from back in the day? Well, that definitely is part of it for a lot of guys. You know, when I say you got to wash your asshole, you got to wash your asshole. You have to wash your get right in there. Get if you got foreskin and you're uncircumcised, you got to get under there and wash it every day. Thank you. for that. If you want to have a hot sexual relationship with your partner, you need to have genital hygiene be one of your top priorities and your breath has to smell. Okay. You got to use mouthwash and brush your teeth and floss go to the dentist and get a cleaning plaque is not sexy all a turnoff, you know, so <laughs> just saying testify, like, testify. best yeah. basic hygiene. Oh, okay. Anyway, you, you said, That's is there homo- need, homophobia boy. to it? Yes, there is homophobia to it, especially washing your asshole, um, <laughs> maintaining like, uh, uh, or even wiping your, your asshole after poop. Like a lot of guys or like, no, I can't even touch back there because there's so much enculturated shame and homophobia in them that they're like, I can't even touch myself. So they miss a whole world of, of anal pleasures that they could have if they educated themselves about the nerve centers in that area of their body, how to touch it, how to keep it clean, stuff like that. We'll have to have you back. That's a whole other episode, Chris. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
which I don't get into in my book. I'm not teaching anything about anal sex or anal pleasuring whatsoever, because this is really one-on-one level stuff that I'm talking about here. And, you know, one thing that you do highlight in the book is just a quick side note is that intercourse isn't everything. And I appreciate that as a gay man. Well, I think as anybody, there's so much emphasis on intercourse when there's so many other fun things you can do. There's a list in the back of the book, and it's also a download on my downloads page. The yes, no, maybe exercise. I don't know. It has like 50 different romantic or intimate or sexual acts or activities. Just a long list of various ones. Oh, hot bath with rose petals or anal sex, you know, threesomes, you know, whatever. There's just a list of a variety of them. And you can go through that list and, 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 and put a check mark in the, the yes column for everyone that you would like to do before you die. And put a no in the no column for like, hell no, I don't want to do that. And if you might be able, open to doing it, if certain needs were met, then you put a check on the maybe column. If you do that and your partner does that, and then you compare your notes, inevitably, there's going to be some stuff on there that you didn't think of beforehand, but that you're both a yes to, or that one of you is a yes to and another is a maybe to. And then you get to have a wonderful conversation about, well, how could we meet your needs and that's fun. That expands your horizons. Right. Yeah. Being so intercourse course focused, penis in vagina, PIV intercourse, you know, you miss the, like the rest of your body being a pleasure center. Like right. your whole body can be an element that just fills you with delicious delight. Wasn't it John Mayer that said your body's a wonderland? Go explore that. It's bitch. a wonderland. Yeah. <laughs> and mine's a playground. And, yep. right? <laughs> and we all know John Mayer knows what he's talking about because he's had, he's got himself a lot of like, yeah. top quality women in his life oh, dear. Uh, and hey if you take that checklist and your answers are too mismatched then you know it's not a match and you can move on save yourself some trouble <laughs> right if everybody's a no to everything it's like yeah. well yeah. i think we should just be friends <laughs> you know so something that jenna you've been talking about a lot recently is something called love languages which is i'm not totally familiar with what that means but there's a whole chapter in the book on love languages and i believe that's one of the worksheets on your website too you can go find out what your love language is so is I, that, yeah sorry. what are love languages i had a really hard time with this chapter because i've never been able to figure out my love language and you even said if you can't figure out your love language you don't know how to accept love which is something my psychic told me, funny enough, not too long ago. But I always have troubles with the love languages because I feel like when I try to think of it, it's like a mix of them all. So there's five, correct? That's okay. Well, the original version of it is that there's five. Yeah. Words of what affirmation. What is it like the sexiest languages? French, Spanish, Portuguese. <laughs> exactly. The main languages of the world for love. Yeah. Um, <laughs> some people really need uh, to, to be told with words that they're loved, to be appreciated verbally. Like I need to hear somebody tell me they love me. Like that's called words of affirmation. Somebody might need to hear the words and if the other person never speaks because they just don't talk about intimacy, like then that one person isn't getting their needs met. But another person might need to receive gifts. Like give me presents. That's what shows me that you love me. Buy me the flowers, get me the ring, you know, Whatever, like, so some people really need gifts. It's a universal love language, giving gifts to someone that you love, right? And then uh, another one is- um, The physical acts touch. Acts of service. Oh, physical touch is another one. Acts of service. Like, like if I do something for my, my wife, just because I love her, I'm just do- taking something off of her to-do list or doing something for her that I know that she really wants to get done or that she really loves to have done for her, like serving her. You know, she experiences that as love. 
I fixed the bookshelf, you know, you know, I fixed the plumbing, you know, whatever it might be, things to pay the bills, like get these things done, you know, serving your other person. And then physical touch, of course, right? Like some people aren't touchy feely. I am a touchy feely person. I like to massage shoulders and lean up against each other while we're talking and like put my arm around somebody while we're walking down the street. Like um, I, I, I need to be touched to experience love. If somebody loves me, but they don't touch me, I don't feel that they love me. So that chapter is just about discerning is one of those or two of those really big for you? Or are they all kind of equal? And maybe for you, they're all kind of equal. And for me, they're all kind of equal. But for some people, they, get, they do that chapter and they go, oh my God, I never realized it. I really need to hear him tell me that he loves me and he never says it. That's my, how I need to, to receive love in order to feel like I am loved. And if he never does that, if he never tells her, even if he does all the service, even if he buys her gifts, but he never tells her, she just doesn't feel like he loves her. And he's getting exhausted, trying his hardest to love her in a way that she's going to feel it. And she doesn't feel it. And they miss each other in the night. So for some people, it's a big aha moment. So do you think that when people discover what their love language is, do you think that that's how they treat their partner if they don't know what that partner's love language is automatically? Is that just kind of how you like, if I'm a physical touch person and I start dating someone at first, I'm going to just assume they're a physical touch person. Right. Unless I straight up ask them, what's your love language? Right. Sure. And it's a great question to have. And like, we have this new kind of modern interpretation of dating of like all the cool new communication and intimacy tools that we have in the last five to 10 years. Like when you're going on the first date, man, like going through your love languages, going through uh, like your STI talk, your elevator speech, going through like your relationship style dreams and stuff like that. It's such a cool toolkit that we have now that like our parents' generation never had. Right. Like we can assess our compatibility so quickly with these new communication strategies that we have today that we can really weed out whether it's a good idea to go forward or not, or like figure out how we could be intimate together in a way that works for both of us without necessarily getting on the relationship escalator and moving towards getting a house and a mortgage and you know, right. two, two kids in a garage. So do you see dating apps not necessarily as toxic to the dating environment, but most m- more so a really great tool. I don't know. I, I don't get into dating. I don't, I, I'm not a dating yeah. coach. I specifically focus exclusively on teaching tools for long-term relationship right, success. Right. Now, somebody might be dating because they want a long-term relationship. So that's fine. But I'm only teaching tools for long-term relationship success. If you so want for those, that relationship to succeed, like right. do so this, for, have this conversation. Yeah. For those on a dating app, you'd suggest using the tools that you provide in that moment time that you get to know that person. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. But okay. be real about what you want, what you don't want, what you're up for, what you're not. They might just want to hook up. You might just want to hook up. You know, it's okay to have that conversation. It's okay to be honest. Right. They might want like the full dream scenario with a diamond wedding ring. Like you might want that too. Just be honest with what you really want. Not what you think they want to hear. Not well, what you think is going to get them in your pants. In their the pants. Diamond ring girl is a gift love language. See, I'm learning. Yeah. <laughs> I'm learning. Yep. I think mine, and I had never really thought about this. Like I said, when I listened to that chapter, the service one perked my ears up that like, oh my God. Yeah. Like if a guy came home and was like, I just washed your car. I'd be like, oh, you know, so <laughs> right. Get over so here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think that's mine. I, could, do you really think someone could have a gift love language and be like a nice, decent person? <laughs> <laughs> You're not too superficial. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, it might be for you can imagine someone who's never really received gifts in their life. That's really important to them. And they, they wish that they could have that at some point in their life, but they've just been around people that aren't physically generous. You know, so there's, there's, yeah, and you give somebody a gift that just melts their heart. You can imagine that, right? Like that just brings them to tears. Like, oh my God, you care for me. Right. You know, I like giving gifts. <laughs> oh, totally right. Yeah, I'm a gift giver. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. The fun you and the planning so of it. This book, Conscious Cock, including a lot about menstrual cycles, and this is sort of where we may wrap it up. But I just want to know, Jenna, how would you feel if your man came home and said, "I'm tracking your cycle on an app"? Um, is <laughs> a little aggressive. <laughs> yeah, I could yeah. see him having like. <laughs> The danger zone, as in like when I'm grumpy or when, you know, like a lot of women deal with issues like severe cramps and stuff like that. If a man knew that that time was coming and I came home and he had like flowers and chocolate because he's like, I know you're going to get cramps soon. That I would be impressed with. Jenna, let me level that up for you. Okay. What if you come home and he's made you soup and there's a hot water bottle and he's got your favorite show ready to go with like puffy pillows made up and like just ready for you to dive into bed, like understanding that that hurts you and like that there's something he can do to help you hurt less, which is a hot water bottle, maybe a Tylenol. And the importance of that comes from the fact that men do not know how it feels. And women have always struggled with that because, you know, even from a young age, trying to explain to a male teacher that you don't feel well, you know, so for a man to show any inclination that he doesn't necessarily understand, because you can never understand, but that he sympathizes and empathizes with you, that Mm -hmm. to me, like that almost brings tears to my eyes right now, actually. I call it being a health ally. If he can learn the skills to show you that he gets your world. So much that that you feel him, that he's a health ally. If you've got an up day, you got a down day, he understands he's there with you. What if you get pregnant? What if you get sick? Like that he's there for you and understands you and is trying to meet you and dance with you. He's not just being a jerk, self-centered off in his own world, like, oh, far off in the stars or something like that. Um, Then like that builds your trust. That makes you want to lean into him more. Like, oh my God. Oh, yes. yeah. I'm going to open my doors to you. I'm going to show you more of my heart. I'm going to give more of my abundance to you emotionally, more of my body to you, probably because and that's it gets you. A huge commitment, too. Uh, to me, that's like a step in commitment. And that's like taking your relationship to a whole nother level on a physical level, you know, where without touching it all. Like just knowing that to me is it's love. It's, it's yeah, care. It's love. You're right. No, yeah. it's love. That is love. Yeah. That's, that's the one that gives you the inside. That's, that's what, that's really what these lifetime movies should be about. It's not the guy <laughs> that like comes to the old town and like sweeps her away. Cause they want to save the small business. No, he brings her chocolate and flowers when he knows she's going to have bad cramps. <laughs> and the flips. Oh, so, okay. So let's just back up. Okay. Jesse, you said, Oh, what if you come home and you say, I'm tracking your period on an app. That's not going to go well. You haven't set the context. You haven't prepared her for the news. Like if you say, Hey honey, I'm 
reading a book about how to understand women better. And I, I want to learn about the menstrual cycle because I've never really learned much about it. And you go through it every single month. Like, and it's been catching me off guard and I, I, I don't want to be bewildered. I want to be able to be in, an empowered, supportive partner to you. So I'd like to learn about this. So I got myself an app and I'd like to know when did your period start? Cause I can start tracking it because the apps teach you, they have pop-ups. They say, Oh, here's the diff- four different phases that women go through every month. And then you get to see your partner and learn from her. How does she, generally speaking, feel or inhabit her life the week that she's bleeding? How does she inhabit her life? What's her sexuality like two weeks later? (laughs) Is there a time of the month when she's really hot? A lot of women are really sexually excitable around ovulation. If you know when that is, then the counterpoise, the upgrade for, for like, oh yeah, when you got cramps, bring her a hot water bottle and make chicken soup and watch a movie. Like the, the upgrade to that is that two weeks later when you're hot, have that be when you plan the hot date for. Have exactly. that be when you get the, the, the place with the jacuzzi. Like have that be when you go out dancing, work with her. Yeah. And then you have even better experiences. Look, Which it's not exciting. weird for men to track women's cycles when they're trying to get pregnant. So what makes it weird other times? That's the thing to me. Well, well I was just thinking yeah. that you should maybe what I was getting at was maybe you don't have to tell her everything. Like maybe it's okay to not tell her that you're tracking it on an app. That makes think? it weird. That Does makes it, make it weird? weird. If you don't tell her and you have an app tracking her period and she picks up your phone one day and sees a notification, yeah, okay. that's weird. I could see that. Yeah. Okay. And if you share it, you get to say, hey, I was reading this pop-up today and it says that this is what happens in this cycle. Is that the way you experience that? Right, right. You, you, you can, it, it can be a segue to having conversations because the way that this woman experiences her period in the luteal phase may not be the same way that this woman experiences her period in the luteal phase. And the way you experience it now might be different five years from now. It's, we're all moving targets, but having something that's like on the table, an open conversation, we can ask a little question and get a little answer and it helps us both. And we move forward. Like that's great. The context well, you, of openness, lightheartedness about it. And you use a lot of great analogies to explain, like there was one uh, talking about the menstrual cycle. You said, imagine taking like you know, MDMA for two weeks and then a downer for two weeks. That's kind of what it's like for them. And that yet opened my mind to think of it in a different way. Now I know why Jenna's such a bitch for two weeks. <laughs> I'm not. Right. You know, the, the estrogen progesterone cycle, it, 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 you could look at it like two weeks of the month, you're getting force fed a drug that you didn't consent to. And then the other two weeks of the month, they switch that drug to the reverse and you get force-fed that drug for the next two weeks. You could look at it that way. It's useful to think of it that way because women don't consent to this. They're just born into that body. Yeah. Right. So before we let you go and run off to beautiful Costa Rica, because I'm sure it's just gorgeous over there. You're probably, <laughs> sitting in the, I'm assuming you're looking at a jungle right now is what I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And the mountains. Yep. Um, so Conscious Cock, I think this is a great book for Honestly, everyone, but especially for a straight man, especially if you feel like you're in a bit of a rut and you really do want to find someone to spend your rest of your life with and the right person, you know, Um, what are the three biggest takeaways you want people to walk away with this book? Um, Number one, you're not trapped. You're not paralyzed. You're not stuck between a rock and a hard place. There is a pathway forward. Just learn a few tools, like how to bring up difficult conversations and have them uh, understand women and learn a bit about anatomy and physiology. And you're going to have a roadmap to navigate things that you've never had before. So just those things. It's, it, it's not, as we say, rocket science, 
It's just neuroscience and anatomy and physiology and communication technologies, but nobody's ever really that I've ever seen put them all together into one book where you get the anatomy and physiology, you get understanding women and you get communication and intimacy tools all in one place. They've always been segregated into different things. So, um, then like you can, you can follow the, 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 follow your dreams for your, what kind of relationship do you want to create with your partner? What goals do you have to do before you die? Like, can you put some foundation stones under those to help make them happen? Otherwise you're going to feel like you're withering that, that we, nobody wants to waste their life. Exactly. You know, I would go as far as to say this book could help people that aren't even dating or interested in dating, if you just want to improve yourself, you know, I, I want to give it to some straight guys like the, just to, to fix up their appearance. So there's many reasons that this conscious cock book could be helpful insofar as just the title. That's why I'd buy it. You and know. remember to uh, make sure you wash your butthole and your balls. <laughs> yeah. 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 With come clean. With come clean. <laughs> right now. I think in this episode, we've actually set up your online shop already. There's going to be the, mouth, the vagina <laughs> and then the come clean. So there we go. We'll only ask for 4% royalty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Christopher Lovestone, best name ever, ever, and incredibly white teeth, by the way. I'm going to bug you for your teeth secrets after this. Get the book, Conscious Cock. What is your website? Consciouscock.com. I just wanted to hear him say it. Thank you very much, and thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers. Ciao.